Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to East Shore. My name is Pastor John. I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. Today's sermon I've titled More Than Worth It. And my question for you to think about first is what makes something worth it for you? If you're going to buy something or interested in purchasing something, making a deal, what makes it worth it for you? I know I like playing board games, and recently I was at a, a yard sale. They were selling one, and there was one I was somewhat interested in, and the person was willing to give it to me for less than half of what you could buy it for in the store. And I was like, well, that, that's worth it for me. What's worth it for you? Is it something 50% off? Maybe it's getting cash back on something, or buy one, get one free. But what if I told you that I have an even better offer for you? What if there was something that you got a hundred times more than what you had to give up to get it? Now, I'm not trying to sell you something you don't need. Instead, I'm trying to persuade you to embrace and enjoy what God offers you through Jesus Christ. You see, on our own, we're stuck in our sin, the wrong that we do against God, the things we do that we want that do not please him. We're trapped in that sin. We're separated from God. But through Jesus, he offers us something amazing. He offers us salvation, a relationship with him. Christ came. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died and rose again. So if that we turn from sin and believe in him, he now gives us something that is more than worth it. What we've been doing here on Sunday mornings is going through the Gospel of Mark. We've been trying to answer the question, who is Jesus? And today we're going to discover that he is someone who is more than worth anything we could give up to get him. We're going to be in Mark 10, just looking at a couple verses, verses 28 through 31. What we're going to discover today is that following Jesus is costly. It's costly, but what he gives his people is better. Because one thing he gives them is the greatest family in the world, a church family to show them hospitality, to bear their burdens and encourage them. And we'll see that following Jesus will not be easy, but it will be more than worth it because we get a hundred times more than what we give up. So let's see how. If you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, Again, verses 28 through 31. If you want to use that blue Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, I believe it's on page 1006, 1006. Though we'll also put it up on the screen. So once you are there in Mark 10, I would ask if you're able, if you would please stand to honor the reading of God's word and then follow along. I'm going to read our passage for today. Mark 10, reading verses 28 through 31. Big 10, starting in little Verse 28, it starts with Peter talking to Jesus. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. 
Verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray. God, thank you for the salvation that you offer us through Jesus Christ. God, it may be costly for us to follow you. We may lose relationships. We could lose jobs. We could lose a lot to faithfully follow you. Oh, but Lord, remind us that that sacrifice is more than worth it because what you give us is better. You give us a relationship with you now. You give us a a new family to support and encourage us and in the age to come, eternal life with you. So God, remind us that you, Jesus, are more than worth it. May you be our focus today. May we see how everything else in life pales in comparison to you. To use the words of John the Baptist, may you increase and may I decrease. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first truth Jesus is going to share with his disciples in our passage today is that following him, following Jesus, is costly. Following Jesus is costly. Now, we skipped around a little bit just because of the order of who was speaking, but if you can remember two weeks ago, the passage right before this is one of the most well-known encounters Jesus has in the Gospels. It's a conversation he has with a rich, young ruler. There's this young man who has wealth and power. He comes to Jesus, and back in verse 17, the young man asks him, "'Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it I must do to be in heaven?' And Jesus responds in the passage by listing some of God's commandments. And his point is that if this young man wants to do something to get to heaven, to be with God, he has to do everything perfectly. He has to obey every one of God's commands. But Jesus knows that's impossible. He knows that we're not perfect, that we don't do everything right. He's trying to show this man that there's nothing he can do to earn a place in God's presence. His only hope is to trust in God's grace. However, the man doesn't get it. He claims that, yes, I've done that. I've kept all the commandments. And out of love, Jesus has to show him that he actually broke the very first of God's Ten Commandments. The book of Exodus tells us, you shall have no other gods before me. But we're going to see that this man actually values his money more than God. In Jesus' words, in verse 21, it says, Jesus looked at him loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But this man loves and values his money. He worships it rather than God. He needs to let go of that trust and riches if he's going to experience God's grace. But unfortunately, he can't do that. He's disheartened by that saying, and he leaves and walks away from Jesus. So Jesus takes the opportunity to tell his followers how difficult it is for someone who's rich, who's self-satisfied, who provides for themselves. It is very difficult for a person like that to enter God's kingdom because they're used to earning things for themselves and they can't rely on God. A rich person trusts in himself, 
Salvation only comes when we put everything on Jesus. As Jesus says in verse 27, he looks at his disciples and says, with God, salvation, going to heaven is impossible. I'm sorry, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Salvation is possible for someone who leaves behind sin, leaves behind their self-reliance, and puts their faith and trust in Jesus, who alone can save. And that's where we stopped two weeks ago, but the conversation doesn't end there. One of his disciples has a response to that. In our passage today, Peter speaks up. And if you've ever read the Gospels, Peter is typically one to speak first and think later. So he has a response. He has something to say to Jesus, kind of ignoring what Jesus just said about God alone getting the credit. Instead, he tries to point out how he and the other disciples there are much different than that rich man they were just talking about. The disciples did what Jesus said. They gave up everything. As it says in verse 28, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. But Jesus doesn't let him finish talking. I like how the verse puts there, Peter began to say. He's starting to get these words out of his mouth, but he doesn't finish the sentence. Jesus has to stop him, calm him down, and share truth. So yes, this example of the rich man is fresh in their mind, but Jesus tells Peter and the disciples in verse 29 that following him is costly. Look what he says, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left, meaning there will be some who leave house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, lands for my sake and the gospels. He's telling Peter that putting Jesus first may lead to some losses. You may lose your family or your possessions. For some, following Jesus means they lose their community. They lose those who loved them, cared for them. They may have to give up their land. Perhaps we could take that as their livelihood. They may have to give up their property for the good news. And while Peter's saying we gave up everything, that in verse 28, that's a little self-serving. There's an element of truth there. Because if we go back to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Peter and the disciples did give up their livelihoods, their income. Look back in chapter 1, or it's on the screen, about how they responded Jesus is talking to Peter and his brother Andrew, and verse 18 says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then Jesus went a little further. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother. They were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Peter and Andrew gave up their livelihood. John and James did that as well. They abandoned the family business to follow Jesus. In our passage, Jesus is assuming that those who follow him will lose something because they're abandoning their old life, a life of self-pleasure, self-reliance for one that honors God. So I'm about to, I'm getting to a point where I'm going to talk about the wonderful benefits that we have of knowing Christ, having a relationship with him, the incredible joy and blessing that that is. But I, I need to be honest with you. Following Jesus is costly. And maybe you're here listening or watching and you would say, you know, I I don't think I'm a Christian. I don't think I have a relationship with Jesus. I haven't turned away from sin. I haven't embraced faith in Christ. And there may be some things that are holding you back. 
Maybe it's your reputation. You think, well, you know, some people would really look down on me if I took this Christianity thing seriously. They would think I'm dumb. Maybe it's your job. You're afraid you'll be fired or you won't fit in with the work culture anymore if Christianity of Jesus is what's most important to you. Maybe it's your friends, your social circle, and you're worried that, well, if, if I make Jesus the most important person in my life, then I won't be able to do the kinds of things I used to do with my friends. Maybe it's your family that keeps you from Jesus. You know if you became a genuine Christian, for some, that would lead to your family rejecting you, or maybe just they'll stop spending time with you. Maybe it's something about your own life. There's something you live, something you do, and you know it's something wrong. It's something God doesn't like, but you're not willing to put that aside. And I know that all of these things can be reasons that can keep us from Christ. They're things we would have to lose if we came to him. And it may be scary to think about how your life would change if you gave all of those things, those people up, or if those relationships changed. But where we're we are about to get is to see that it is worth it to give those up. I'm sure there are many people in this room who could tell you that anything they lost or put aside to follow Jesus is not worth comparing to what, to what they have gained. The blessings far outweigh the losses. But this is the cost Christ presents us with. Earlier in Mark 8, we read that he called the crowd to him with his disciples and he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, die to his old life, and follow me. He makes it clear, whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life, his old way of life, for my sake in the gospels, the same words we see in our passage today, whoever loses his life for that will save it. And he presents a choice to us, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. Friends, anything we see around us here is temporary. It will not last forever. But a relationship with God is eternal. One pastor I was reading, Jason Meyer, said, we do not boast in what we do or what we give up and what we gain through what Christ has done for us. When Jesus asks you to deny yourself something, it's always to get something better, longer lasting, and more satisfying. It's always to get something better, longer lasting, and more satisfying. So if you haven't come to Jesus, let me encourage you, lose what you need to lose. Turn to him before it's too late. Yes, it's costly, but we're about to talk about how it is worth it. But before I get there, I feel I also need to speak some words to those of us who do know Jesus, who maybe we don't feel like we lost a whole lot in coming to Christ. You say, I didn't lose my family. I didn't lose my job or property. Many of us probably grew up in a context where it was very easy to become a Christian and follow Christ. Maybe it was what was expected of us from a young age. Perhaps the day you became a Christian was not all that different from the day you, before you became a Christian. I know that's my experience. As many of you know, I've been attending this church since I was a toddler, younger than my daughter is now. 
And when I came to faith in Christ at a young age, it, it didn't make a dramatic difference. Maybe, maybe at most, I lost one or two of my elementary friends at school, but that, that, that's really it. And I know that some people have really dramatic conversion stories, but for others of us, perhaps coming to Christ was just when the pieces came together in our mind. And so we should praise God for his grace, his faithfulness, if we didn't have to lose our family or our community to follow Jesus. But if that's us, then we need to also be very careful. Because if we didn't have to lose something in that kind of initial grasp, we should take seriously Christ's words here. He's assuming that something will be lost. So we should ask ourselves, is Jesus really the Lord, the master of my life? When it didn't cost much to come to Christ, it can be very easy to replace Jesus in our affection as first in our life. It's easy to replace him with something else, some lesser God, some lesser idol. That could be our job, it could be a hobby, it could be our spouse or kids or something in our life that we don't have. We make that more important than Christ. But friends, that, that dream, that person, that thing cannot be most important. That position is reserved for Jesus. Let me give you an example of that. I know when I was um, younger, uh, I thought for a long time that the most important thing in life, I would tell you it was Jesus, but in reality, I thought it was I need to have a relationship. I need a girlfriend. That is what is most important. And I had to learn the very difficult lesson of contentment in the situation of life that God called me to. And yes, now I'm married, I have a family of my own, but I still have to fight the temptation to make that or anything else more important than Jesus is. He must be first and foremost. So brothers and sisters, if you can't really think of something that it really cost you to follow Jesus, then make sure that he is first in your life and there's not some other idol that has replaced him. If you're unsure, then perhaps you too need to make some costly changes to put him first. So following Jesus is costly, but we read next in our passage that what Jesus gives us is better. Yes, it's costly to follow Christ, but what he gives is better. And this is the most amazing part of this passage to me. Look at verse 30. He's just talked about everything that they may have lost. They may have lost a whole house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, lands. But look at verse 30. Jesus says, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. He says those who lose things to come to Christ, they receive a hundredfold, that's the word he uses, a hundredfold blessing, not only in heaven, but right now. There will be the blessing of the eternal life in the age to come, but look at his words. This is so powerful. It says a hundredfold now, in this time. He's talking about right here. There's something to be gained. So what does that mean now, in this time? Now, there's some other places that may call themselves churches, that they'll share something different with you. They'll share what's known as the prosperity gospel. They'll tell you this hundredfold means that whatever money you give to them, you will get back a hundredfold in return someday into your account. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Anyone who says that to you is just trying to part you 
from your money for their sake. No, what's happening here, I think Pastor John Piper puts it well. He says it means mainly that if you are deprived of your earthly family in the service of Christ, if your family either rejects you, you're separated from them, he says it will be made up a hundredfold in your spiritual family, the church. The Bible describes coming to Jesus as a new birth. It talks about how we die to our old way to life and we're born again is something we use. And when we experience that, we also are born into a new family. Jesus is saying, every believer, everyone who's turned from sin and trusts in me is now a part of this church family. And in the church with other brothers and sisters, we should find those who are actually closer to us than a biological family member who doesn't know Jesus. Because in the church, you share the same hope, the same faith, the same joy, the same Jesus, and you share the same destiny, eternity with God in heaven. You should be welcomed into their homes. You should experience their hospitality. I like how Pastor J.C. Ryle puts it. He says about a new believer, they shall find in the communion of saints new friends, new relations, new companions who will be more loving, faithful, and valuable than any they had before their conversion. Their introduction into the family of God shall be an abundant recompense. They get back more than what they lost from their exclusion from the society of the world. What they gain is so much more than what they lose. This new community should be the world's greatest family. It should be in a place that, that with Jesus, it should fill the holes that are left in our life with overflowing joy. As Jesus said, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. That's God's desire for his people. But just because that's God's desire, we should ask the question, is that actually true? Is that something we experience among God's people? I heard a pastor named Sam Alberry speak about this once. He put it this way, there should be more family, community, and intimacy in the church than anywhere else. And if that's not true, then we are calling Jesus a liar. He just said in our passage, it's a hundred times better than what you could find somewhere else. So if that's not true, we're calling him a liar. That is very serious. I know for a long time I thought church was good, but I don't know if I'd say it was a hundred times better than my other friends. But that's Jesus' promise. That is what the church is supposed to be. Now maybe in this quote, that word intimacy throws you off a little bit. You may say, that's a little weird Pastor John, church people, there's people I see once or twice a week. What do you mean you want me to be intimate with them? Are you talking about sex or something like that? No, no, I'm not talking about that. Those words intimacy and sex, we sometimes use them interchangeably, but they're not the same. We can see examples of this in scripture. You could look at the apostle Paul. Paul was the one who wrote a large chunk of our New Testament. And from everything we can tell, Paul was never married, yet he knew intimacy. If you read his letters, you can turn to almost any of them. And typically at the back of the letters, he has a long list of names. 
Sometimes if we read through those books, we skip over that part. We're like, I don't know these people. Why why am I going to spend time reading that? But they tell us something important about Paul. Everywhere he went, he found deep, intimate relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. He found encouragement and support from the church. So yes, Paul probably never married. He probably never had sex, but he had intimacy. He had close relations with believers. They knew one another. They cared for one another. They loved one another. In the same message, Pastor Alberry said, if you have to be in a romantic relationship to experience love in your church, then your church stinks. <laughs> I thought that was a powerful challenge. And I have to tell you, I don't think our church stinks, but maybe we should look at scripture to make sure we can prove that. How do we do it? So what? How do we show this type of love in our church? One place that may help us out is what Peter writes. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So from that passage, I was really focusing on that showing hospitality. That's one of the greatest expressions of love that we can have in a church family. And showing hospitality simply means that we open up our real lives to other believers. We let our church family into our personal lives. We don't pretend to be perfect. We meet one another where we are. Hospitality may look like you invite someone, a brother, a sister, a couple in Christ over for a meal, or you invite someone who doesn't have other family to be a part of your family gathering. Doing that could mean the the whole world to someone, to find someone who's, who's lonely and invite them to be a part of what you're doing, perhaps around the holiday. But you don't need a home to be hospitable. If you say, well, I can't really have people in my home, that's fine. Hospitality could look like making an intentional effort to spend time with someone else. You could go out to eat, do something together where you have the opportunity to have a real conversation with someone, to find out what's going on in their lives, how you can pray for them, support them. Hospitality is one way that our little pocket of this world's greatest family, it's one little thing that we can do to prove that following Jesus is more than worth it. But I hope we won't stop there. I once read from author, speaker, Rosaria Butterfield, she put it this way, the blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood of biology. Our brothers and sisters in Christ should be closer to us than those who are related by blood. So that means we should continue showing love, hospitality, even when it is difficult to do so. After all, if, if we had a family member, if, if you're not close to your family, then, then I'm sorry, but if, if if you are, just think about if, if a brother or sister, one of your brothers or sisters, your mother or father, if they were suffering or struggling, you would do anything to help them. That's the same type of care we should have for those who have been united with us in Jesus. Paul said in Galatians 6, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens, helping them to overcome sin. 
but we can't bear someone's burdens if we, if we don't know them. So it's a challenge to us. If we're going to be this world's greatest family that's 100 times better than outside, then we need to take the time to engage those, perhaps those who are lonely, those who are isolated, to have empathy for those who may be suffering silently, to make an effort to get to know someone who's outside your circle of church friends, to get to know someone who may be in a very different position of life than you are, who may think about life differently than you do. Just because you're a Christian, you might not agree on all the same things, but that's okay because you have a common faith, a common concern for one another. Some ways you could do that here are perhaps getting involved in one of our small groups, one of our home fellowship groups that meets outside the church, one of the, the classes that meets here on Sunday morning. It could happen as you serve together in one of our opportunities we have to serve. Maybe if you participate together in a church event. I know we've got Vacation Bible School coming up. Maybe that's a place to connect with brothers and sisters in Christ. If we know them, then we're in a position to bear their burdens. So we can show hospitality, we can bear each other's burdens. And another important aspect of this is taking time to encourage one another, to encourage one another. Hebrews 10 speaks about this. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the return of Jesus drawing near. Now, sometimes in church, when we bring this passage up, we use it as a, this is why you should be in church on Sunday. And that, that's absolutely true. We need your physical presence here at church. Absolutely. But notice what the author is saying. The goal is not just for you to be here in this building, but that you should encourage one another. The opposition is neglecting to meet together, and the other side is encouraging one another, stirring one another up to love others and serve God. So what that means is if you come to here, come here to church on Sunday, you come, maybe you sing, you sit, maybe you take good notes, but if you don't encourage someone else while you are here, then you're not putting into practice that passage from Hebrews. Just coming and sitting and taking, that, that's not what he's talking about. He encourages us to encourage others. Friends, if we are believers in Jesus, then we should be a part of this family. It should act, it should look like oh, the greatest, wonderful family there is in the world. And if ours doesn't look like that, then we need to challenge ourselves to act like it. Now, before we close today, there's one other thing I want to talk about in this passage, because in that verse 30 we read, Jesus adds something odd in that list of all the blessings we get by following Jesus. Did you catch it there? Let me read it again. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions, with persecutions. And this reminds us that following Jesus may not be easy, but it will be worth it. Following Jesus won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Do you remember where we started? Peter jumped in and he wanted to tell Jesus how much he and the other disciples gave up, how great they were. And it seems Jesus is bringing up the reality of persecution to kind of put a damper on some of that, to say, Peter, I'm glad you're excited, but this is what's going to come from following me. That's what Jesus said. Other places in the Bible say the same thing. 
The Apostle Paul, who we talked about, him, he, had, he loved his brothers and sisters in Christ and the closeness they had. But he also tells them, this is 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. And the truth is that life is hard. Just because you join the world's greatest family, that doesn't all of a sudden mean that life is going to be easy. There will be many challenges, pressures from those who do not know God. Life will be hard. But even in this, believers have hope. Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There is blessing to be had there because God's ways are not our ways. He has different values and priorities. Jesus said it in our passage in verse 31. He said, many who are first, who look like they're first in the world, will be last and the last first. Our call is to think like Jesus does, value what he values. Yes, persecution may be painful, but it's the road he calls his people to. It may be we experience such suffering that it leads to death. Or maybe just following Jesus means we're excluded from a community we were a part of before. We may be cut off from other relationships that we used to enjoy. We may seem alone, but in that we are seen by God. Jesus' words here remind us that perhaps somebody lives an unrecognized, lonely life following Jesus now but they will be recognized and praised in the life to come. They will find greater honor and glory then than they found here on earth. Jesus' words are a challenge to us to persevere because our race is not finished. Our goal is to say, as Paul does in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Because in verse 30 as well, he says, in the age to come, we arrive at eternal life. And think about how this connects together in this whole story. This started with a, a young man who came to Jesus and said, what can I do to get eternal life? And Jesus told him, well, it's gonna cost everything. You, you can't be relying on yourself. That very eternity he desired, he lost. But for his disciples who said, yeah, we put it aside, Jesus, because we want to follow you. Jesus said, you will find that eternal life. And we do not have to do it alone. As we've talked about, our church family can be there to encourage us as we live for Christ, as we tell others about him. It will not always be easy to follow Jesus, but going together with his people will make it worth it. We can persevere together through persecution and trial, because we know what the future holds. This family that's a hundred times better than any other community we can experience on earth should be there to support us, to keep us going. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That to me is one of the most beautiful verses in scripture. I love his description of it, that What's happening now is just light, momentary affliction. And where we are headed is glory beyond all 
comparison. I hope you see Jesus' words here are supposed to be an encouragement to us, that it's a wonderful thing, a joyous thing to be a part of the family of God. I know it may not always feel like that, but the truth is that it is. When I became a Christian, I entered into a relationship with God. That's amazing. That's a blessing that I couldn't repay even if I tried. It's a blessing greater than what I could imagine. But Jesus says I get more than that because I also received a church family, the world's greatest family that's there to love, support, and encourage me no matter what. But that's not all that I get because Someday, I will enter eternal life, a face-to-face, intimate relationship with God. This is what Christ gives us. This is what God offers us through his son, Jesus. And when I think about it like that, that should fill me with joy. What about you? What about you? The salvation Jesus offers is what saves us from sin and separation from God. This family he offers should be better than anything, any other type of love we could find on earth. This future he offers is glory forever. So yes, this is a, a costly thing. It's costly to join Jesus and his people. We have to turn away from sin and everything else we may rely on. But even though it's costly, it's more than worth it. It may not be easy, but it is always worth it. So if you don't know Jesus, then seek him, come to him, turn from sin, put that behind, say, God, I'm moving beyond that, and I want to know you. Whatever it costs, I want Jesus because he gave up so much for me. You can talk to me about how you can do that, what that looks like, or you can talk to someone else who is a believer in Christ. Talk to them and say, please help me to, to know how I can know Jesus and be a part of this family that he speaks of, that how I can see that eternity that he offers. And if you are a part of this world's greatest family, well, then thank God for it. Now, maybe you say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really connected to a church. I haven't experienced that. Well, then connect to a church. Get in, involved with other people's lives so you can experience that encouragement. I'm very biased, but join this church. We'd love to have you be, be a part of it. I think it's a wonderful family, but find other brothers and sisters in Christ that you can connect with together, that you can connect in a local church together. If you're lonely, you can find community, intimacy, companionship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if, if you say, well, I'm in this church, I, I know, it's great, I, I like it, well, then reach out to those who are lonely, those who do seem isolated. Show hospitality, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another. There may be trials and persecutions, but being a part of this family is worth it. It's worth it now, and as Jesus said, the best is yet to come. So let's take time now to praise God for what he has given us through Jesus, because he alone is worthy.